0: Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Hey, Matt, thanks Thanks so much. Um, That that definitely means means a lot, especially what we're gonna get into today. Uh, Good morning, LBCF fam. Uh, so good to uh, be able to uh, connect with you uh, one more time. And so, as Christ followers, in what manner are we to utilize our voice in a world filled with injustice, confusion, and corruption? You know, we've been in this journey in the New Testament and we have finally arrived to the book of James. And so James is not uh, new to us. We actually had done an, uh, an in-depth study in the book of James, I'd say maybe about a, a year or so ago. And so uh, if you're new to us and new to our community, feel free to visit us at lbcf.org. And if you look under previous messages, you'll be able to see um, the, or you'll be able to listen to the in-depth uh, uh in that messages that we have gone into the book of James. So uh, for our time together, we're only going to focus on one part of James. However, uh, Looking at the book of James and who James was specifically, uh, James, by my most scholars, was the brother of Jesus. And so he's the half-brother of Jesus. And by the time he's writing this letter, he's writing this letter to Jewish Christians. And he is now the primary leader of what you want to call the mother church, uh, the church uh, at, at Jerusalem. And so one of the things I found interesting uh, in this is more the societal context. And and just to give you an idea of what was going on in society uh, during these times, here you had a growth because of uh, the socioeconomic conditions of the day, you had a growth of turmoil, you had a growth of, of, of violence, and this was all stemming from the frustration, um, the corruption, the injustice, and the poverty that was going on to this day. I mean, it boiled so much to a point that it resulted in uh, Jerusalem actually being destroyed in AD 70. But we hadn't got to this point yet by the time this letter was um, was written. And so as far as, as James was addressing uh, the uh, not only the the Jerusalem Church, but the uh, the Jewish Christians uh, at at that time. Really, you could see him focusing on on the idea that our faith is true once we are able to exhibit that faith under pressure. And so the book of James just writes a whole bunch of uh, of practical things. I mean, we can call it the the. It's almost like the proverbs of the New Testament, where there is so much practicality from how to deal well under trials to what uh, to uh, his thoughts on on, on favoritism, uh, to exercising true wisdom and the importance of prayer. However, one of the things that stood out as he was communicating to uh, those Jewish Christians was the idea of the tongue or the idea of our our voice and so one of the so the area we're going to focus on is James chapter 3 and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 12 James chapter 3 1 to 12 James is talking to the not only the church at 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 at, uh, at at Jerusalem, but he's also talking to Jewish Christians everywhere. And he begins by saying this, James chapter 3. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged by God with greater strictness. Now, quick pause here. We get a raw deal, we get a raw deal as it relates to us teachers. Um, because here's the thing with people wanting to be teachers and, and, I, and let me say this, I remember growing up and people saying, well, you know what, man, I, I have a word from the Lord for you, or, you know, God is telling me to tell you this. And, and what I got here is essentially that we want to be very, very careful when we speak for God or when we are teaching, um, when we are teaching, um, from, from God's word, because we're going to be held to a higher level than anyone else. So all of us on the teaching team, um, you know what? That's (laughs) It is what it is for us, but you know what? This is what we signed up for, and this is what God has blessed us with, and whoever else that God has ordained you to teach. Uh, Let's continue to move on. It says, we all make mistakes, but those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. We can make a large horse turn around and go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a a tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. So also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire and the tongue is a flame of fire, it is full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Wow. People can tame all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an uncontrollable evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and and Father, and sometimes it breaks out into curses against those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out of out with both fresh and bitter water? Can you pick olives from a fig tree or figs from a grapevine? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty pool. Mm. Wow. As James is is writing, he he gives three characteristics of the tongue. And first we wanna take a look at three things in this passage of Scripture. That first thing is, is that the tongue, or three characteristics of the tongue that we see in Scripture is that the tongue is influential. The tongue is powerful. Three analogies that James shares in uh, the first part of James chapter three, one has to do with a horse bit and a horse. Now, for the equestrians out there, I know that they know this, But an actual horse bit is about five inches in length so depending on the phone you have it could be a little bit shorter than your phone and so not only is the horse bit about five inches on average in length but it also weighs about one and a half pounds thereabouts now consider this an instrument that's about five inches that weighs about a pound and a half can control a horse horses generally range from uh, four and a half feet to six feet tall and they can range from about eight hundred and forty pounds to two hundred to two thousand and two hundred pounds. So imagine that a horse bit about a half of a pound, we can use that to control a horse that is to about almost two thousand or literally more than two thousand pounds. That how that is how powerful the tongue is that is how influential the tongue is. Now another analogy uh, James uses is that of a rudder. So I'm gonna ask Andrew to pull up a slide here. and so um, you're gonna see a slide and on that slide is an ancient boat. Now this is not a fisherman's boat, um, but this is one of the larger boats during the time of James. And as you can see what a rudder is and that's going to be that uh, that's going to be circled in red. What a rudder is, is it is actually used to direct the ship. So see the comparison size-wise from the rudder to the actual ship. And how they can use a rudder no matter how strong the winds are, this rudder could utilize and change the direction of where the ship is. Let's bring it a little closer. Let's let's bring it to uh, let's bring it to uh, our time. A lot of us have been on cruise on cruises before. And so if you look at a cruise ship, and I'm gonna ask Andrew to advance to the next slide. As you look at a cruise ship, here you're gonna see generally the cruise ship, all right? See the size of the cruise ship. And if you look at that little red circle that's on the picture towards the bottom left-hand side, that is the rudder. Imagine that, a small instrument like that can control, a huge, huge cruise ship and determine the direction in which it could go. That is how influential, if we were to put up the tongue, that is how influential the tongue is in guiding and in directing. Third analogy is that of forest fires. Now, we in California we all know about forest fires and we all, especially uh, these last couple of years, this year in particular, we just know of, of, of just many forest fires in our area. And so I just want to choose one and be specific about one fire because this one was closer to us per se. This is the El Dorado fire. And this fire was caused by what they say is a smoke generated pyrotechnic machine that was done at a gender reveal party. Now, I had a hard time in finding... The size and the dimensions of what specifically this device was. Some people think it was a smoke grenade, or or some other um, some other instrument. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I will venture to say that 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 instrument or that device is probably going to be no bigger than maybe two by four, or or um, or just if you look at your table, maybe a fraction of our dinner table, and yet. As a result of that one instrument, as a result of that one fire, as of today, or as of the 7th, 22,744 acres were burned. Ten structures were destroyed. Eight structures were damaged. One person lost their life, and 12 people were injured. To give you an idea of 22,744 acres, that's the equivalent of about 17,000, a little bit more, 17,000 football fields. It's also the equivalent of half of Washington, DC. That is how powerful, how influential the tongue is. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So in other words, no matter because our tongue is so powerful, no matter if we use it for life or if we use it to to build others or if we use it to destroy others, no matter which way we choose to use our tongue, we will indeed reap the consequences. Not only is our tongue influential, our tongue is also con- uncontrollable. on verse in verses seven and eight, James mentions how he mentions another analogy and, and says um, all sorts of animals and beasts and, and and wild things we have been able to tame and think about that if you've um you know before COVID happened you know if they had the chance to go to a suit go to a zoo we we have an idea of all the animals that we've been able to, to tame uh, to a certain degree we've been able to tame elephants lions uh, tigers uh, no matter where we no matter where they are we have been able to exhibit some form of control over the wild, over animals and over beasts and over these huge things, things that are so much bigger than us. However, as it relates to the tongue, James is saying, and God is saying that the tongue, no one can control the tongue. No one can control the tongue. You know, our tongues or our voices, and I'm gonna be using tongue and voices interchangeably with each other. But you know, when we use our tongue or we would use our our voice, and if it goes unchecked, not only are we destroying or able to destroy um, uh, everything that's in front of us, um, but it's going to be reckless, it's gonna be intense, and it's gonna totally, um, it's totally going to, just for lack of a better word, just, I'm gonna use a little slang here, just jack up everything around us because that's how powerful and that's how destructive and that's how uncontrollable the the tongue is. James 1.26, he mentions this, James mentions this earlier, and he says this, he says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. So not only is our tongue... Potent, influential. Not only is it uncontrollable, but it's also unpredictable. James goes and and he 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 mentions in in verse nine. He goes and it says, but no one can. T- I'm sorry very nice it says, sometimes it praises our Lord and Father and sometimes it breaks out into curses against those who have been made in the image of God have you ever realized or have you, you ever come across a situation where you know we're coming from church and you know praise the praise and worship has been awesome and it's been wonderful and and we're just singing our hearts out to God and then afterwards you know maybe we're you know we're grabbing coffee or or when we're we're talking to our family whatever we just say some things that are totally not. What are totally not reflective of what we've done a half hour ago or a long ago when we've been singing praises to God? You ever notice that happen? I remember recently, um, me and me and Cecile had a conversation, and we were discussing uh, an opportunity. <clears throat> excuse me, and we were discussing an opportunity that would take me away from. Um, that may be taking me away from home a little bit more often, and so I was just, you know, sharing this opportunity, and and you know, Cecile being the the awesome wife and supportive wife that she is, she was just definitely encouraging me with that and encouraging me, and, and I thought it at the time, I thought it was too much, you know what I mean, and it, and it, it almost felt like in my mind, it felt like she was like pushing me out the house in a sense, and um, I remember because I felt that slight offense. I had something said something to the effect of, you know what? <clears throat> you know what? You just want me at the house. All you all you want is for me just to, you know, provide with you, provide you my money, which I'm not, you know, I didn't have a lot of anyway, but all it is is that, you know, you just want my money and you don't want me in the house. And I remember after that was said, you know how you wish you could just, after things kind of go out, you just wish you could just <laughs> grab them and put them back in your mouth. Um, but it was too late. And I remember the look on her face and I remember the dejection, the hurt, because I would think something, something like that. And I wasn't, and I knew that she wasn't pushing me to it. I knew what it is, but it just was one of those things where it just, it just came out. My friends, the tongue, if it's not controlled, it's restless, it's reckless, it's undisciplined, and if it is not in control, not only can it wreck our lives, but it could also wreck the lives of others. That's how powerful the tongue is. Maybe you've been on the recipient of that where people have abused you by their words. Again, that's in all of us. That's how powerful the tongue is. So then, how then we, during this time, during this COVID era, more specifically, during this election year, how do we use our voice? How do we use our voice to bring life during these times of chaos, of confusion, of injustice, unrest? How do we use our voice? Well, understand this is the symptom Our tongue, that's the symptom. It begins here, our hearts. It begins with our hearts. Jeremiah 17 verse nine says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Jesus is talking in Luke chapter six, verse 45. He's saying a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So I have a question for all of us. Have you surrendered your heart to Jesus? For those that don't have a relationship with with Christ, understand this, God loves you. God loves everything about you. He's created you. And more than anything, he wants to have that relationship with you. And if you wanna move forward to do that, understand it's as simple as coming to him, admitting that you're not a perfect person, but admitting his work for you on the cross and allowing him to change you from the heart from the inside to the outside. For those that you, for all those of you that already knows Christ and has a relationship with them and has a relationship with them for any given of time, I ask you the same question. During those times of offense, whether it be through social media, whether it be through person, whether it be from our family or our friends or whomever, during those times of offense, Have we surrendered before we even give out a response? Have we surrendered our hearts to Jesus? James writes and he says, understand this, my dear brothers, you must be quick. You all must be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. And the only way we're allowed to do that is if we allow the Holy Spirit to come and to use us and to quiet our hearts and to give us those things to say when it is appropriate. Colossians 4, Colossians 4, verse 6, Paul is saying, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. You know, to kind of go in a different direction, not only do we depend on the Holy Spirit to not say the things that shouldn't be said. He also flips that around because the Holy Spirit is also there to prime us and to prod us and to strengthen us to say the things that should be said. You know, one of the things that I struggle with per se um, is thinking that my voice isn't good enough because, you know, I don't speak as well. And in comparison, that's been like ultimate struggle. And I, and I look to different speakers and, you know, how they talk and how they clearly articulate themselves and, and and how they're able to get across, um, you know, their, their, their main points or, you know, they're just able to communicate uh, so well. And I compare myself to them and I'm like, well, you know what, shoot, you know, well, you know, if I say it that way, I mean, I'm not that, you know, in my mind. I'm not that eloquent, or you know, I I don't express myself as well as 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 others, and and so I'm a little still considered rough, uh, a little rough around around the edges, and and so in my mind, I'm disqualifying my voice because I, I have this criterion in my mind that I should be this way, I should communicate at this level for me to be at a certain. Uh, for me to be effective in, in what I'm doing and and I'm so grateful for the other members of of the teaching team that 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 remind me of, of the opposite and then also the holy spirit reminds me of the previous people that I've had the opportunity to lead, whether it be through youth ministry or, or, or singles ministry, and those people would reach out to me, and and not only do they mention to me, "Hey, you know what? I appreciate what you invested in my life," but also seeing it in their lives and what they're doing, and and also what and also how they're ministering to others, and and let me tell you guys something that is not me, that is the Holy Spirit. Utilizing my voice to reach others for for the kingdom, and I'm no I'm no special. I'm not anyone special. I'm no uh, I'm not any more special than any of you. Um, understand that God too wants to use your voice. He wants to use you during these times of unrest, of 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 chaos, of confusion. He wants to use your voice in building others, but more specifically, in bringing others into relationship with Jesus. Proverbs 16, 24 says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Psalms thirty seven thirty says, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. So then LBCF, family, all those who may be listening to this, in this current season, how are you using your voice? When you're posting on social media, when you're responding on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and somebody writes something that is totally not in the same vein as what you're thinking, or if something is happening in the world uh, that, that, that you are totally against, or, or you have a, a relative or a friend that's saying something that you're in, in, in strong disagreement with, during those moments, before you write that response, how are you using your voice? Have you surrendered your voice? at that time to jesus when you're talking to your wife husbands or wives when you're talking to um what to when you're talking to your husbands parents when you're talking to your kids and i and i get it it's a stressful time we have a lot of things going on and i totally understand that but when you're talking to your kids when you're talking to each other have you surrendered your heart And have you surrendered your tongue to the Holy Spirit? And are you allowing him to guide your tongue, to guide your voice? I'm a little over time. However, if you don't mind, I just I I, want to share with you one scenario. Just want to share with you one one story. This story is about a young man. He was about eighteen. He was about eighteen when he moved back to the states. He moved back to the states from uh, West Africa uh, for the sake of uh, this story. We'll call him Malik. He's actually a U.S. citizen, but he moved to West Africa as a baby, and and at the age of about eighteen, he decided to move back uh, here to uh, here to the U.S. And so, when he moved back here to the U.S., uh, Malik had got himself a job and the job was in a convenience store. And so he was working behind the register one day uh, at, at the convenience store and gentleman comes in and he walks in, he, he picks a few things up and, and um, the, the gentleman is generally nice to everybody. He's saying hello, uh, he's saying hello to everybody and he's definitely cordial to Malik who's working behind the, 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 the register. And so he's working behind the register, and um, the gentleman pays for his items, and he ends up leaving the store. Norm, normal interaction. So during this time, this convenience store, one of the things about this convenience store is they were, you know, they honestly were used to, but at many a times they were used to getting counterfeit money. And so one of the things that they had in the store was a machine that was able to identify what um what bills were real and and what bills were fake, and so as he went ahead and you know he took this money and um he went through the machine or he took the bills and he went the machine and he the machine had identified the bill as counterfeit, and so he mentioned it to another employee. Another employee uh, left the convenience store hoping to, to to catch the gentleman, and he did catch the gentleman there, and he mentioned and said, hey, you know what um you know, your bill is, is, is counterfeit. And so, you know, we would need you to, you know, come and pay. And so, you know, the gentleman wasn't too happy about that. And, and, you know, as a result, you know, the gentleman, you know, just refused to, you know, um, move, move forward. And so, um, because of the, uh, because of the disturbance that was coming up because of that, the employee went into the office, uh, went back into the convenience store, told Malik to call the cops. Now, two things. One thing about Malik, Malik was uh, Malik uh, Malik is a black person. And um, Malik, when he was in West Africa for the amount of years that he has, he was very unsure or he wasn't aware of the, the U.S. dynamic between police officers and African-Americans. So he went ahead and he had, he had called the police and, um, you know, the police came and things escalated. Uh, things escalated to a degree which it shouldn't have of escalated. Another piece of information about the convenience store: a lot of um, a lot of illegal things were happening at the store. The owners weren't responsible, but a lot of illegal things were happening at this corner store, and so there was like an unwritten agreement. There was an unwritten agreement between the police and also the convenience store that the convenience store was to report anything that they uh, anything that they saw was fishy or that that they may have thought was illegal. And if they did not report those things, then they would be fined. And so again, the police comes; they go on this gentleman, and things escalated to the point where it was it escalated to the point where where it shouldn't have went. And so the name of that gentleman was George Floyd. And so Malik, as a result of everything what happened, because he didn't know it was going to blow up or get to the point um, that that it did. After all that had went down the first week, um, reporters or someone who was doing a story on the convenience store, they happened to catch up with Malik and. Um, they weren't able to find him, but they tried super, super hard and they were able to find him. Um, and so here's a couple of things that he said as a result of what happened. He said that the first week that they di- the first week that he died, he said, I was disturbed a lot. I couldn't sleep. I've been thinking about it every day, every night, sleeping, dreaming, sitting, doing, doing nothing. He also, um, he also said this. He said, because after that, Malik had gone into despair, especially after George Floyd's killing. And he said, I was feeling that I'm done with life and stuff. Like, why am I even living? I don't deserve to be breathing. Stuff like that. He continues on and says, because there was a few weeks from the time he said that, Um, to the time he said this. He had said things had gotten a little bit easier since the days, Uh, I'm sorry, he didn't say this, but things had gotten a little easier for him. He, um, He was saying this, he says, I'm still working on it, but at least I now sleep three to four hours a day. Now, not only does the killing, everything that happened, it's in Malik's head. He's living with that day after day after day to this point. And he will go on and says, sometimes I answer random calls from people I don't even know. And they say some bad stuff like, you guys killed George Floyd. Finally, he said this. He says, you know, if it were up to me, I'd rather live in my mom's country, that being of West Africa. It's better than the United States. I'm not having any happiness, only darkness. So my question to you, the question for us is, what would you say to Malik? There are some that are crucifying him because if that call wasn't been made, George Floyd probably would have still been alive. But even in that, even in his ignorance of what was going on, He's now on the throes of depression and it's now something he has to live with every single day. And so I say to us, because we may not be talking with Malik's, we may be talking with others with different issues, but in that scenario, what would be our words to Malik? My friends, The tongue, our tongue, it's powerful. It's powerful. Even in this day where there are so many voices out there, my tongue, your tongue, all of our tongues, as a body of Christ, once we surrender our tongue to the Holy Spirit, our words have the potential to derail those that are going into darkness and to bring those into not only a right relationship with Jesus, but in the light of how good and how awesome and how wonderful and how majestic and how glorious God is in our present situation. If you mind having your eyes closed? We bar our heads. We we'll to engage in an exercise of mindfulness. And I ask us to consider these questions and our responses to these questions as we think about words, our words. Think about our words. Think about our words this past week. What did we say that we know we shouldn't have said? What are the things that we shouldn't have said that we know we should have? How have our words impacted or how have our lack of words impact our family, our wives, our husbands, our children? our coworkers, whether virtually or in person, our friends. Have your words impacted them? Have we surrendered not just our words, but more our hearts in those moments where we felt like responding whether in person or on social media. Have we taken a moment when we're offended to think, to apply James's scripture of being slow to speak, being quick to listen? How will we use our words today? Jesus, I pray what David wrote In the 19th Psalm, verse 14, may the words of my mouth, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, amen.